Welcome to NatSec Tech, a podcast from the Special Competitive Studies Project. I'm Jean Meserve. Artificial intelligence seems to be at the forefront of every technology conversation, and a lot of those conversations revolve around the need for rules and regulation. Even some people developing AI say we need guardrails, and politicians are responding. President Biden recently met with AI experts during a visit to San Francisco, and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has proposed what he calls the Safe Innovation Framework. He says it would address concerns about national security, privacy, bias, and democratic values while still fostering innovation. Schumer unveiled his proposal in a speech at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. The U.S. has always been a leader in innovating on the greatest technologies that shape the modern world. But if people think AI innovation is not done safely, if there are not adequate guardrails in place, it will stifle or even halt innovation altogether. So it is safe innovation we must seek. So how do we find that balance between innovation and regulation? We decided for this discussion to draw on the expertise of the Special Competitive Studies Project. With me today is Rama Iluru. She is SCSP's Senior Director for Society and Intellectual Property. She was previously Director of Research and Analysis for the National Security Commission on AI and an Administrative Patent Judge. Also with us, Jenilee Keefe-Singer, Senior Director of Government Affairs for SCSP. She worked in various roles within the U.S. Department of Commerce, including as Senior AI Policy Advisor for the National Institute of Standards and Technology, known as NIST. She has also worked on the Hill. Great to have you both with me. Thanks, James. Good to be here. Good to be with you. The ecosystem for innovation in the U.S. has operated without many rules. In fact, I've read that this so-called permissionless innovation atmosphere is exactly what has allowed the tech sector to flourish and to thrive. Is it possible to continue to foster that kind of creativity within a system of rules and regulation? Absolutely. Actually, governance, and by governance, I mean regulatory mechanisms as well as non-regulatory mechanisms can help with innovation, right? When we know that innovation is going to benefit society, that there are certain guardrails around uh, uh, the technology that protect us from harms, um, we'll be better able to feel comfortable We'll feel more comfortable with the technology, we'll use it, we'll adopt it, um, and we'll run faster with our innovation because we know that technology is going to be uh, for our benefit and that we do have the necessary protections to uh, against potential harms. So SCSP has studied this issue of governance and has come up with four principles. I want to go through these with you if I can. Uh, The first one says govern AI use cases and outcomes by sector. Exactly what are you talking about? So uh, sector regulators have experience and expertise within their sectors. They know what their risk thresholds are and how their sectors operate and they have existing authorities to regulate. And so because AI is like uh, electricity that is used across sectors, um, it 
it, it, it's relevant to not just one sector, but multiple sectors. So existing regulators have existing authorities to uh, that allows them to regulate AI that is uh, relevant to their sectors. Can you give me an example? Yeah, absolutely. So whether uh, a decision in an employment or a decision for a loan is made, and whether that's done by human or machine, uh, laws and regulations related to discrimination or bias, still they still apply. It, it doesn't change. Uh, so we want to ensure that those entities that are already enforcing those laws and regulations continue to do so. So that leads me to the second of the principles that you laid down, which is empower and modernize existing regulators. Do existing regulators have the capacity and the knowledge to regulate AI? I think it differs across uh, sectors and agencies. Some agent, uh, agencies and regulators have more expertise dealing with AI than others. So we need to see what regulators need to adopt uh, AI regulations under their existing authorities. Um, so we need to see if they need more talent, whether they need more expertise, whether it's education, whether they need more money to uh, have uh, to bring in the necessary infrastructure to be able to re to regulate AI that's being used in their sectors. Given what you know right now, don't most regulators need more knowledge, more staff, more money, a better relationship with the tech sector? Um, I think it really differs across agencies. For example, the FDA has a lot of experience uh, regulating uh, AI. Uh, they have experience regulating AI-enabled medical devices, uh, as an example. Um, uh, and so I think, you know, given their uh, experience um, with AI, I think they probably are one of the uh, agencies that, might not need as help as other agencies where AI is sort of new to them, where AI is a, a new technology that is being infused across their sector. Um, so we also need to address the needs of those regulators. Many of our regulatory agencies are already uh, recognizing the impact that AI will play on its sectors. There was a joint statement that was issued by four regulatory entities, um, including the Department of Justice, the EEOC, CFPB, and the Federal Trade Commission. And they, um, their statement uh, generally said that, you know, our laws and regs still apply when you're using AI. Uh, these entities have also been working to beef up the education of their employees and to bring in more employees who have tech backgrounds and understanding to help them apply their laws. So this is a work in progress uh, that is going to be happening, not just in government, but across the board. Uh, but uh, recognition is always half the challenge and we are absolutely already there. So there are many applications of AI, and your third principle that you lay down is that governance should be focused on high-consequence use cases. Again, let me ask you to explain and give us some examples. Sure. Um, because it's impractical to govern every 
AI user outcome, we should be uh, shaping those AI technologies that will have the greatest impact on society, whether that's beneficial outcomes or harmful outcomes. That's where we should be focusing our regulatory efforts. And we need a way to identify what those high consequence use cases are. So what kind of benefits should be we be looking at? What kind of harms should we be looking at? How do we sort of calculate what that really means? How is a harm really significant? How is a benefit really meaningful? So we need to give regulators some guidance to figure out where they should be focusing their regulatory time and efforts. Um, and so we need to uh, provide a framework that, again, gives regulators some flexibility, but also is sort of standardizable across uh, sectors so that there, there's some certainty for industry as well as the public on what could potentially be a high consequential AI use case. And we're actively working on that right now. Here at SESP, we're partnering with the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab to develop this fr framework to identify high consequence use cases. Yeah, I'll add that this is much like the EU AI Act risk-based approach. Um, the EU AI Act has classifications for high risk, medium risk, low risk. Um, I think that uh, we that list is a little bit static and so it will need to be updated. Um, so the American way, again, should give some flexibility because this innovation is moving, the AI innovation is moving so quickly, so fast that we can't have a very static, we can't have a static list of technologies that are classified as high risk. Um, so we need to be able to have a, a framework that can be flexible and agile enough that it can adopt to new technologies when it comes down the road. Because in some cases, you cannot anticipate the risks involved in technology, correct? That's right. Um, so uh, not completely, but we can certainly think through what American values are, right? And what we want uh, technology to reflect, what, so how we use it, how it can be, how it can impact society. So we can think through uh, how AI is gonna change the context in which it'll be used and how that will affect society, whether it's gonna be good for society or whether it's gonna be harmful and to what extent, right? So again, we can't, we can't regulate everything. So we should be uh, regulating past a certain threshold. And so where is that threshold? Um, what's something that's really good that we, the, what's something that uh, AI is really good uh, at providing for society that we want to encourage? And what are the harms? How bad is a harm that we want to be able to mitigate it or, or uh, prevent it altogether? So what would you say was right now the highest consequence use case that should be addressed? I think the ability of particularly generative AI to uh, create deep fakes, images, videos, text that seems uh, very real but isn't is one of our most pressing problems, especially given 2024 when over a billion people around the world will be voting. And so the ability for disinformation to affect our democratic institution, I think, is really high. Um, democracy is still an experiment. And so we really need to get this right to ensure that our democratic institutions um, uh, persevere. 
Um, and so we need to figure out ways uh, pretty quickly about how to deal with disinformation given elections next year. The fourth principle that you lay out is to strengthen non-regulatory AI governance. Give me an example of non-regulatory AI governance. Self-governance is one. So where companies um, self-regulate themselves, adopt voluntary standards and norms uh, that align with values is an example of a non-regulatory mechanism that can help shape how technology is developed and used. Jelly, any others? Sure, and I can give you a couple of examples of where this has worked fairly well. Um, NIST developed a cybersecurity framework that has been widely adopted uh, across sectors to address cybersecurity risks. Uh, they recently developed an AI risk management framework uh, that I know sectors are quickly learning to adapt to, uh, but this, this isn't just technology areas where self-governance has been used. It's used in uh, the consumer product safety realm. Uh, most consumer products do not have specific laws uh, regulating how they're used. It's voluntary standards that govern how companies work in practice. So this has worked in other ways. Um, it can work here too. But it doesn't always work. I'm thinking particularly of social media companies, for example. Um, that's true. Um, I think that that is one of the areas where uh, U.S. regulation um, didn't act quickly enough. Um, so I think that there are ways to regulate content distribution platforms, like social media platforms. Um, uh, Senator Schumer put to forward a framework for who, uh, where, how, um, and protections. So we need more transparency on who is on these platforms posting content. Is it people? Um, is it chatbots? Uh, we need to know where this, we need to know the source of the information. Um, again, uh, this is where um, content and provenance authenticity comes into play. We need some sort of marking on uh, content to see where it, where the source originated from. Uh, we also need to know a little bit about how these algorithms are working, how they are pushing information to you, how they're pushing, you know, pushing information to me, uh, what are the uh, different algorithms and um, decisions that they're making and seeing and deciding what I see and what you see. Um, and also certain protections, for example, um, this, these are really, AIs are really powerful tools. Should we be um, letting minors use these AI tools without some sort of um, protections? Compare, if you would, your approach with Senator Schumer's. What are the big differences? I don't think there really, I don't think there are any big differences. Um, the SAFE framework that Senator Schumer put forth lays out principles. Um, and I think this is a really good signal of where they want to operationalize these principles, right? I mean, there is no one silver bullet, um, but the SAFE framework lays out where they think the most important action, uh, where they think action is needed, the areas, uh, the most important areas where they think action is needed. You know, and Senator Schumer focuses on a number of areas in this framework. 
Um, he looks at obviously the security aspect of this, both national security and economic security. He looks at you know accountability, making sure as was just what we were talking about, that we are reducing mis and disinformation. Um, but he he broadly applies this, um, you know, also to addressing IP concerns. Um, and he, you know, really puts forward the concept that any AI system we're building should align with our democratic values, our, our core values that you know, we share as Americans and we share uh, with many across the globe. And, you know, those are the exact same principles at SESP and quite frankly, the work we put forward when we were at NSCAI, um, it, they're, they're one in the same. Generally, you've worked on Capitol Hill. You know how slowly it can move. They've been working on data privacy for how long? A decade? Do you have any confidence that they can get this done? Um, I have optimism. Uh, I'm optimistic that uh, the House and the Senate can rise to the challenge. Uh, we do we do rise to the challenge when we need to. Um, and right now, you know, it's not just Senator Schumer out there. He's working with a bipartisan team of senators known to get things across the finish line. He's working with Senators Heinrich, Rounds, and Young. Um, you know, if you recall, uh, Senators Young and Schumer, they were the ones who put forward uh, science legislation that became the base of the Chips and Science Bill that just passed. So this this is a team that if you're going to have confidence in something moving, um, they're the ones. Is speed of the essence? It is. Speed is definitely um, of the essence in certain areas. Um, I think there are short-term goals that we need to address. Um, and then there are longer-term uh, challenges that we'll need to address. And some of those long-term challenges, you know, we don't want to jump to rush to regulate things uh, too quickly um, if we don't know how it will impact uh, the innovation ecosystem. So, you know, focusing at... Um, you know, content distribution platforms right now, beefing up protections for minors, those, those are things we should do in the short term. So we're talking about what's happening in the United States, but obviously this is an international ecosystem. Do we need to harmonize what we're doing with what's happening elsewhere? Yeah, so we we can't do this without our close partners and allies. And um, we've talked about the importance of being uh, international, uh, being tech leaders internationally. And by tech leadership, we mean the United States in concert with our partners and allies. So to have that kind of collaboration, there cannot be inconsistencies, for example, with respect to data sharing, right? If we want our companies to have uh, markets in, in, in Europe and for Europe, for example, to have market uh, market access in the U.S., there needs to be some sort of threshold agreement around data privacy. And the principles we put forth for data privacy in the fall report, the mid-decades challenges uh, to national competitiveness, those principles uh, that we put forth aren't aren't that far apart from the principles that we see in EU's GDPR, for example. So um, I think that we need to start in that middle ground. And even if we have differences in our implementations, that's okay. As long as we have those, you know, we agree on certain principles 
around data privacy as just one example. I have read and heard repeatedly that it's important that the U.S. shape international standards in this space. Will the rest of the world follow? Will the people who are not our allies comply with the rules that we set? I will say that we need uh, an alternative to the techno-autocratic model of shaping AI and other technologies. Um, And we need to show that you can have innovation uh, with regulation um, and that that's better for society, right? And that's how we influence other state actors to adopt our model is to say, look, you can have the benefits for your society um, and also protect them at the same time. I think one of the key pieces here is offering um, an alternative to technologies offered by um, companies that are build their products with more autocratic ideals than democratic ideals. Um, so nations who... Uh, need to turn elsewhere for technology have can pick what works best for them. Um, and right now we're in a really great place on AI. The leading large language models, all with the exception of one, reside uh, with companies from the United States. So we need to continue that march um, in the AI space and also expand that elsewhere. If we establish rules and regulations in the United States or in the West writ large, our companies have to operate within a certain framework. In other totalitarian countries, those rules, those those guardrails do not exist. So do those companies have more freedom to innovate and to create the next best thing? Not necessarily. Um, You know, right now, if you look to some more autocratic or totalitarian nations, um, they put requirements, particularly on AI and generative AI, that uh, the United States and many of our allies and partners and friends never would put on generative AI. That is, you know, controlling the output because they don't want their citizens to see the full breadth of information that is out there. So I do think there's a different way at looking at this. Um, you know, there it's two very different approaches. Obviously, we support the American approach uh, where you have guardrails. However, you have the freedom to innovate to the best of your ability. What are the consequences if the U.S. gets this wrong? I, I think there's really dire consequences. I mean, democracy is still a, is still an experiment. And so we need to make sure that we get this right to make sure that our uh, democratic institutions persevere through this technology. Um, there's a lot to be gained from this technology for our societies um, and also likewise harm. So we need to get that balance right or making sure that our governance mechanisms harness those benefits for our society while also protecting us from those harms. It's got to be a hard job, though, isn't it? Um, that's that's why we're working very hard at SCSP to come up with some recommendations for uh, Congress as well as the administration. Thank you both for joining me here today. With me, Rama Iluru, who is SCSP Senior Director for Society and Intellectual Property, and generally Keith Singer, Senior Director of Government Affairs for SCSP. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you. Jean. Thank you so much. I'm Jean Meserve. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you will again.
Bye-bye.